Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, March 16th, 2012. I seem to have survived the Ides of March. Not that I was worried that I wouldn't, but, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those nerd fears. I don't know. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. One of the things that we have as kind of a perpetual theme here at Fighting for the Faith is this concept of who can you trust? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God's word as it's laid out clearly? Or are you going to trust somebody who claims to be getting direct revelation and dreams and visions and experiencing the drunken glory cloud and things like that? Um, in fact, I, I, you know, I try to make the case over and again that the people who claim that they're getting direct revelation from God... Um, can't be trusted. And the reason I say that is because over and again, when we compare what they are saying in the name of God to what God has clearly written in his word, the two just cannot be reconciled. Uh, either God the Holy Spirit is schizophrenic and uh, has some kind of a mental disorder, and if he does, then we shouldn't really be uh, worshiping and, and serving the triune God f just for that reason alone, or... What it really comes down to is these folks are following lying spirits and spirits that are, do not have their origin uh, in the mind of, of of the triune God, the one God that really exists. And so as a result of it, we're, there's a lot of deceivers out there claiming miracles, but they're false miracles, claiming visions, but they're false dreams, they're false visions, they're lying dreams, they're lying visions, and they constantly take our focus off of Christ. They take our focus off of Jesus, they take our focus off of his word, they take our focus off of our crucified and risen Savior, and they put the focus on the bizarre. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a little difficult at times to watch what is being put out as somehow mainstream Christian thought within the visible church and uh, you know, stuff that, you know, 20, 30 years ago was on the fringe is now in the center. 
and what used to be the center, sound biblical teaching um, on, on the part of faithful pastors who opened God's word, those folks have been shoved off to the side and they're pushed off to the fringe. And, uh, you know, it's strange days that we live in. And, it, you know, I don't see any reason to believe that this is going to end anytime soon. I, 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 there's some guys out there who, uh, who basically say, oh, this is some kind of a normal pattern that we've seen before. And, uh, you know, don't worry, you know, the, the church will, will, you know, it's going to be raised in, in like in the sense of being destroyed. Never did understand that. You know, why don't we talk about raise a building? What we're talking about is tearing it down. It seems oxymoronic. Anyway, things that keep me up at night. But the the point is this: is that uh, there's folks out there saying, you know, you know that you know, we this is just a normal cycle that we're in, and I I don't know how normal it is. Um, I do know it's normal for Satan to constantly be on the attack and to uh, and to basically smuggle in his wolves in sheep clo- sheep's clothing and to blaspheme God, to blaspheme His Word, to basically give us plastic bananas and tell us that this is really good food, but it's not. Um, you know, by the way, plastic bananas from last I checked are not edible. You know, just something, you know, I've heard. Anyway, so what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, it's Friday. I'm kind of, I, I, I'm limping in a little bit uh, this week. And this, this has to do with the fact that uh, I really haven't had a true day off um, you know, you know, worked all last week, got on a plane on Friday, traveled to, uh, to Grand Forks, North Dakota, and, uh, and then taught all day long on Saturday and then taught again on Sunday, uh, and then flew back. And so I, you know, I, I've been kind of, you know, it took me a while to figure out what was going on. It's like, you know, Wednesday I woke up and I go, man, I'm in a, in a haze. I just, I, I'm not quite there mentally. I'm not quite, you know, up to my normal sharp, you know, self. And some of you are thinking, well, Chris, you're never really sharp. And I, I get, I understand where you're coming from. I'm not trying to brag here. It's just that, you know, you know, <laughs> my sharp may be everybody else's hazy, but, you know, I'm not going to argue that point. Um, but the point is, is that uh, I wasn't up to my normal sharpness, whatever that is. And, uh, and, and I went, oh, yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> I haven't had a day off. And so I'm coming limping in a little bit here, but uh, what we're going to do today is uh, uh, I want to read an open letter that was uh, sent by a philosophy prof at uh, Calvin College yeah, up in uh, Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, an open letter to praise bands that I, you know, by James K.A. Smith that I think is worth passing along from his Fours Clavigera. Uh, Fours Clavagera blog, yeah, what a name. Anyway, I'm gonna pass that along, and we're gonna we're gonna give one, possibly two examples of what it is that he's talking about here, because I think he brings up some good points. And uh, he was interviewed earlier this week on uh, issues, etc. He was talking about this open letter, but I, I actually want to read it and share it with you all, and uh, and then we'll probably take a break after that, and then what we'll do is uh, when we come back from the break. We're going to spend a little bit of time with Patricia King, Todd Bentley, and uh, a, a guy by the name of, uh, let me see, is it Ian Ian Clayton? Yeah, Ian Clayton. And so they, we're going to spend some time uh, you know, looking at this stuff. And then in hour number, you know, you're thinking, well, that's quite a, uh, <clears throat> a star-studded uh, gang. Yeah, it is worth passing along, kind of what I'm talking about, folks who claim that they're hearing from God. And uh, and here's the deal. I mean, 
the Todd Bentleys of the world, um, you know, Todd Bentley, Patricia King, I, it, it just never ceases to amaze me that they have they have a following and these people make, literally make millions doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying. I, I don't understand. <laughs> well, I don't understand why anyone takes them seriously, but uh, we're, we'll take a look at some of their crazy stuff. And then we're going to be uh, going to San Diego, California, um, and looking at uh, listening to a sermon presented by Phil Pringle of the C3 Church Movement. I think uh, Phil Pringle is uh, normally stationed out there in uh, Australia, and uh, he recently made a trip in, in the month of uh, February to San Diego and preached in San Diego. And uh, we're going to be taking a listen to a sermon that he preached about how supposedly God... Uh, uh, God creates with words, which in and of itself sounds pretty innocuous, uh, but there's a problem with the theology uh, that's ticking under the hood here. And uh, we're going to kind of, uh, what I want to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what he, he what it is he's teaching in this sermon, but I want to show you the technique that he engages in to twist God's word. It's, a, it's an interesting technique, one that is used by many, many false teachers and uh, and so you know, we'll spend our, our hour number two doing that. So what I recommend, just you know, make yourself comfortable. We're gonna uh, the pace is gonna be a little bit slower today, just because I you know I don't <laughs> feel like rushing. But uh, so with that, we're gonna dive into the program proper. You know, again, if you want to enjoy an adult beverage, we don't have a problem with that. Keep in mind the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. Fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. If you've never heard me talk about fuzzy bunny slippers, it's been a little bit of time since I've discussed it, but that's one of the time-honored things that we have here at Fighting for the Faith is just good, useful tips for how to you know make your listener experience just that much better. Keep in mind, Fighting for the Faith has been known to, uh, well, de- decrease productivity. So if uh, you're listening to this episode of Fighting for the Faith and your intention was to multitask, keep in mind that this this program has a tendency to be a distraction and make it more difficult to multitask. So just, you know, some useful information there. Let's dive into the program. Here we go. Okay, from the foursclavagera.blogspot.com website, headline reads, Open Letter to Praise Bands. This is by James K.A. Smith, professor of philosophy at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, and uh, James writes, he says, Dear Praise Band, <clears throat> I so appreciate your willingness and desire to offer up your gifts to God in worship. And I, I appreciate your devotion and celebrate your faithfulness, schlepping to church early, Sunday after Sunday, making time for practice midweek, learning and writing new songs, and, and so much more. Like those skilled artists and artisans that God used to create the tabernacle, see Exodus chapter 36, you are willing to put your artistic gifts in service to the triune God. So please receive this little missive in the spirit it is meant as an encouragement to reflect on the practice of leading worship. It seems to me that you are often simply co-opted into a practice without being encouraged to reflect on its rationale, and its its reason why. In other words, it seems to me that you are often recruited to lead worship without much opportunity to pause and reflect on the nature of worship itself and what it would mean to lead worship. In particular, my, my concern is that we, 
the church have unwittingly encouraged you to simply import musical practices into Christian worship that, while they might seem appropriate elsewhere, are actually detrimental to congregational worship. More pointedly, using language I first employed in in Desiring the Kingdom, I sometimes worry that we've unwittingly encouraged you to import certain forms of performance that are, in effect, secular liturgies and not just neutral methods. Without us realizing it, the dominant practice of performance train us to relate to music and to musicians in a certain way as something for our pleasure, as entertainment, as a largely passive experience. The function and goal of music in these secular liturgies is quite different from the function and goal of music in Christian worship. So let me offer just a few brief axioms with the hope of encouraging new reflection on the practice of leading worship. Number one, if we, the congregation, can't hear ourselves, well, it's not worship. Christian worship is not a concert. In a concert, a particular form of performance, we often expect to be overwhelmed by sound, particularly in certain styles of music. In a concert, we come to expect that weird sort of sensory deprivation that occurs from sensory overload, when the pounding of the bass on our chest and the wash of the music over the crowd leaves us with a rush of a certain aural vertigo. And there's nothing wrong with concerts. It's just that Christian worship is not a concert. Christian worship is a collective, communal, congregational practice. And the gathered sound and harmony of a congregation singing as one is integral to the practice of worship. It's a way of performing the reality that in Christ we are one body. But that requires that we actually be able to hear ourselves and hear our sisters and brothers singing alongside of us. When the amped sound of the praise band overwhelms congregational voices, we can't hear ourselves sing, so we lose that communal aspect of the congregation and are encouraged to effectively become private, passive worshipers. Number two, if we, the congregation, can't sing along, well, it's not worship. In, in other forms of musical performance, musicians and bands will want to improvise and be creative, offering new renditions and exhibiting their virtuosity with all sorts of different trills and pauses and improvisations on the received tune. Again, that, that can be a delightful aspect of a concert. But in Christian worship, it just means that we, the congregation, can't sing along. And so your virtuosity gives rise to our passivity. Your creativity simply encourages our silence. And while you may be worshiping with your creativity, well, the same creativity actually shuts down congregational song. Number three, if you, the praise band, are the center of attention, it's not worship. I know it's generally not your fault that we put you at the front of the church, and I know you want to model worship for us to imitate, but because we've encouraged you to basically import forms of performance from the concert venue into the sanctuary, we may not realize that we've also unwittingly encouraged a sense that you are the center of our attention. 
And when your performance becomes a display of your virtuosity, even with the best of intentions, it's difficult to counter the temptation to make the praise band the focus of our attention. When the praise band goes into long riffs that you might intend as offerings to God, we, the congregation, become utterly passive, and because we've adopted habits of relating to music from the Grammys and the concert venue, we unwittingly make you the center of attention. I wonder if there might be some intentional reflection on placement to the side, leading from behind, you know, things like that, and performance that might help us to counter these habits that we bring with us to worship. Please consider these points carefully and, and recognize what I'm not saying. This isn't just some plea for traditional worship and a critique of contemporary worship. Don't mistake this as a defense of pipe organs and a critique of guitars and drums or banjos or mandolins. My concern isn't with style, but with form. What are we trying to do when we lead worship? If we are intentional about worship as a communal congregational practice that leads us into a dialogical encounter with the living God, that worship is not merely expressive but also formative. Then we can do that with cellos or steel guitars, pipe organs, or African drums. Much, much more could be said, but let me stop here and please receive this as the encouragement that it's meant to be. I would love to see you continue to offer your artistic gifts in worship to the triune God who is teaching us a new song. Most sincerely, James. You know, I think James brings up some very good points. And that is, is that when we gather together as a church to worship, what are we gathering to do? And the current, what's happening in so many churches, the current trend right now is away from true worship to performance. And, uh, you know, I'm one of these guys uh, that, you know, I, I've attended good churches, good churches that have also offered as part of their worship service the use of contemporary instrumentation. And, uh, you know, that would include a keyboard, uh, somebody who plays electric guitar, somebody who plays uh, acoustic guitar. I've seen the liturgy done and heard the liturgy done in settings that don't uh, that haven't used a, an organ. In fact, uh, the church that I was a member of in San Juan, uh, not San Juan Capistro, but Capistrano Beach, California, Faith Lutheran Church, they have a service uh, toward the end of the morning time called the gift service. And this is uh, this is the liturgy done using uh, contemporary instrumentation. And and it, it it's it's wonderful. Um, it's it's very eclectic, kind of postmodern in the way they do it. But here's the deal. The band is at the back of the church, the musicians, I should say, not the band, the musicians, uh, they they lead the worship portion of the service from the back of the church so that they're not the focus. And, uh, and you know, it's there's some real good merit to it. I think there's some freedom for us all, you know, it, within churches along those lines, but it really needs to be grounded in a good theology of worship. That really needs to be understood. So we're not, we don't go to church to be entertained. We don't go to church to go to a concert. And unfortunately, the concert uh, methodology has been basically smuggled into church and it's hijacked worship in so many places. So I'm very thankful for what uh, James Smith says here, because I think it opens up the conversation in a way 
that allows us to recapture, um, at least it, it recapture by conversation, if you would, although you know, it's not necessarily the greatest word the way it's been used by postmoderns, but uh, you know, to go back and say, what is this that we're doing here? What is it we're supposed to be doing here? Because you know, the the one thing I've seen is is that there's a poverty that goes along with congregations that have lost worship as a result of replacing worship with performance. And uh, let me just give you one, maybe two examples. But uh, from North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri, uh, well, comes this cover song that was played during the so-called worship time. It, this was performed at North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri. Here. That's right. This is the Rolling Stones Sympathy for the Devil. You could sing along with this. Is this a praise song? Is this worship? Yeah, you should see the um, costumes for this. Yeah, I'd love to hear that in church. Now, you'll notice that um, this is pretty much a passive thing. I mean, if you were there at North Point when they performed Sympathy for the Devil, a cover song uh, originally written by the Rolling Stones, um... uh, what are you doing at this point? This is the concert. This is a performance. And uh, one might want to argue that this has no uh, place in a church service. And they may have a good point there.
enough of that one. Uh, one more example. Recently at uh, Church by the Glades, which you, well was featured here at Fighting for the Faith not too long ago for their uh, Circus by the Glades uh, performance uh, sermon series that they did. Uh, apparently, uh, they, well, um, they, they just performed the song Fly over at Church by the Glades. Uh, here. To win, to fight, to conquer. To thrive, I came to win, to survive. You know what I notice is, is that the stages at these churches, I mean, they're, I mean, they've got a lot of the same technology that's employed on the stage at uh, American Idol. To prosper and to thrive, to fly. So who's the focus here? Jesus Christ or this young lady singing? So here's the deal. I mean, I, you know, listen, I enjoy good music like any other guy. Okay. I do. I, there's certain bands I listen to. Um, I, every now and then I, I find a good nugget, uh, a, a band for like an, in, an indie band. I particular, I actually like indie, uh, rock bands. Um, just something I don't normally share here on the air, but you know, here's the deal. I mean, I enjoy a good concert like anybody else. I really truly do. Um, you know, I've had some memorable concert experiences when I was growing up. You know, I attended a U2 concert uh, at the L.A. Coliseum back in the 80s. <laughs> that was a great concert. You know, a Duran Duran, a Van Halen concert. I mean, I've I've been to some really good concerts. And here's the deal is that um, when I go to church, I'm not expecting U2 to show up and wow the crowd. And, uh, and I kind of understand that when I go to church, there's certain things that I'm there to do that I can't do anywhere else. And, you know, and so worship time is sacred time. And I'm not expecting to be wowed, to be thrilled, to be entertained. I, I you know, the idea of worship is, is that I'm there with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are together singing and worshiping. And proclaiming and putting to verse the great doctrines and teachings of Scripture, and uh, and some of the my my favorite hymns have, are ones that powerfully teach what Scripture teaches and says about God, what Scripture says about Him, so that I find my voice in worshiping God by saying the same things about Him that are written in Scripture and saying them. Uh, in you know, to verse, to good music, and and things like that. I mean, I I can you know, I can do the American Idol thing on you know uh, by watching Fox. Uh, you know, I can I can go to a good concert by looking you know at our local venue here. I think the Verizon. We have a Verizon outdoor amphitheater here in Indianapolis. I I can see who's coming down the pike and go. Yeah, I'd like to go to that concert or this concert, but I I just don't. This doesn't seem to. Ha- there, there's no reason for this in church. We don't need this in church. We need something else. And in fact, when you have worship time in church being hijacked for performance concert time, then what happens is is now we're cutting into time that I can be worshiping 
God and proclaiming the great truths of the scriptures regarding God. Um, and uh, you, you, you take a passive role at this point, much the way uh, James pointed out. But anyway, so the, uh, those are just two examples. And believe me when I tell you, I can produce a lot, lot more. But I, I just wanted to do that in light of what it is that we heard uh, you know, James Smith write in his blog, because I think he has a great point. And I think it's time for us to crack this discussion back open. And it, this, this isn't about guitars. This isn't about drums. This is about worship versus performance, and I think that's a good way to frame the conversation. All right, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars, shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today
keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, beware of people claiming to hear directly from God. There's like a 99.999% chance they ain't hearing from God. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there's perks, okay? Yeah, I told you we're going to be really shortly releasing... uh, uh, an ebook edition of Jay Gresham Mason's uh, book, uh, The Origin of Paul's Religion, a fantastic work against modernist liberalism, which is just as relevant today as it was back then. The postmodern liberals have picked up the same arguments, and Machen just decimates them. And uh, my goal is to have that out uh, by tomorrow, end of the weekend. That that's we're kind of getting close to there. So. Keep an eye on your emails. Hopefully, we'll get those out ASAP. So shortly, that, that I can promise. Shortly, how's that? So, uh, and of course, and uh, that's for all of our crew members. And of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box five zero eight, Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. Okay, fasten your seatbelts, put your helmets on, bendy straws, uh, padding duct tape, and tinfoil pyramid hats. All of that's going to be necessary for really from about this point on in the program. We're gonna we're gonna take a a, a trip down Patricia King Lane, if you would, and and even the sermon that we're going to be reviewing from C three. Even though Phil Pringle technically doesn't fall into the category of the Patricia King gang. He's not very far from them. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, so, you know, take all the proper precautions from about this point on in the program. So with that, here we go. You know, just a few weeks ago, we played Patricia King uh, explaining how women were going to be um, impregnated by the Holy Spirit with visions and things like that. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, bad news again. Uh, for Well, this may be good news depending. I mean, uh, if you're a single woman and you've been looking for a supernatural, you know, uh, the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit to get involved in finding you a man, well, <laughs> hell, 
then Patricia King has got some uh, news for you. Um, here's Patricia King to explain. Hi there. I have a prophetic word that is going to make some of you extremely happy because the Lord's shown me that in 2012, there are going to be many God-appointed marriages. Now, yeah, so there you go. Lots of God-appointed marriages in 2012. And, and if you know, I don't know what you got to do to you know, get in on this, but if you are... Um, you know, single, and you've been looking for a God-appointed marriage, especially in 2012. Well, the good news is Patricia King has apparently got word from heaven. Um, God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed to her that uh, all this will be happening this year. You might be a single person right now, and you're thinking, well, I don't even have anyone in sight at this moment, nobody. But that can change within the next hour. That can change within the next day. That can change within the next week. But I believe the Lord wants you to start preparing yourself, especially in faith, stirring up your faith. Even if you've had past disappointments, lay them down and look to Jesus and allow him to prepare you for marriage. I believe that if you're a woman, God is going to prepare your, 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 your heart as a bride. If you're a man, he's going to prepare your heart to become a provider, a husband, a, a covering for the one that you're going to marry. And so get ready. Allow the Lord to do the preparation work within your life because 2012 is going to bring forth a lot of connections. Um, we have from time to time held um, conferences about you know, um, matchmaking and supernatural marriage and things like that. Supernatural matchmaking and supernatural marriage. I mean, wow. Uh, but I'm I mean, seriously, I, you know, I, I had no idea that this was even an option. I mean, maybe I would have waited to get married. I mean, you know, but I've been happily married for 20, almost what, 24 years. And, uh, and, and so, well, maybe I could make an argument that I have a supernatural marriage, but I mean, Patricia King wasn't around to tell me whether I had a supernatural marriage or not. I just, I just don't know. I mean, kind of did it the old fashioned way. Guy meets girl, guy falls in love with girl, guy asks girl to go out with uh, him. A girl says no, guy persists, girl finally says okay. And then, you know, and then eventually that leads to guy on knee asking, you know, girl to marry him. And then she says, yes, there's a there's a wedding ceremony. There's an altar. There's a pastor. And next thing you know, you're married. I mean, but I'm a supernatural marriage. I mean, I, I didn't even know that this was an option. I mean, I'm so old fashioned. I had no idea. Telling you 2012, there's going to be divine connections unto marriage. So divine connections. Yeah. You know, beware, though, uh, you, you you folks out there that are single, beware. This the, this might be manipulated uh, against you, okay? So if some guy, you know, comes at you with, with a pickup line of, you know, hey, you know, God just told me that we're a supernatural connection. Yeah, um, I, you ha I'm going to give you permission to question that, to see whether that's, that's really from God. Because the last thing you want to do is find yourself in an unsupernatural marriage by a guy who is manipulating you, trying to convince you that it was a supernatural connection when, you know, it was anything but supernatural. You know, yeah, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, you don't, you don't want somebody using God to, you know, manipulate you into a bad relationship. Get ready. Um, I remember uh, that someone that I really uh, love and they're very close to me uh, years ago, there was, there was no one inside, but they had no grace to be single anymore. 
and they were, you know, it was really hard on them. When the grace lifted on their singleness, it was so hard for them. And grace lifted on their singleness. I don't know what that means. And, and, and they said, but there's nobody in sight. And I said, that can change overnight. And so we began to pray, and within no time at all, her husband was on the scene. She's now been happily married for many years, has a child, and it's, it's awesome. So I just want to just put that hope in you. Use your faith right now to call in. Call those things that are, are not as though they are. <laughs> Wait a second. It's God who calls the things that are not as though they are. So that, so basically what you're saying, Patricia, is, is that the single folks that are hearing you, um, they need to, to call the things that are not as though they, How does that play out exactly? So they have to call in the marriage even though it's there isn't uh, – I'm confused. How does that work again? Because you're being prepared for marriage. And I'm getting word of knowledge especially for – Uh-oh, the phone's ringing. Yeah, apparently God is speaking right to her. So this is like a Holy Ghost answering machine in action here. By the way, it's been a long time since Melissa Fisher is updated uh, on the Extreme Prophetic website. So here, I mean, you know, Patricia King is filling in now. She's getting a word as we speak. For a gal who you've been believing God, saying, God, I just, I really want to be married. And, and, and I really, you know, want the right man. And I don't want to exchange you for, for just a man in the flesh, but I want you to shine as the one in my husband. I want, I want to marry a man who loves you. I want to marry a man who knows you. And the Lord says he's heard that de desire and he's going to give you the desire of your heart. And three years ago, you gave up a relationship um, because you wanted to serve God. And it was a relationship that, that you enjoyed and you were going to be married to this person, but you laid it down because God showed you that he had someone better. And recently, you've been feeling kind of bad, saying, I gave up so much, but I have nothing yet. Your day is coming. Just hang in there in Jesus' name. Mm. See, and as soon as you tack on in Jesus' name, well, there you go. I don't know who she's supposedly talking to, but there you go. I mean, right straight from Jesus himself, you know, who sits at the right hand of the Father. I mean, straight away, you know, right from God. Talking from the, well, from the throne room of God to Patricia King, uh, then to XB Media, now here at Fighting for the Faith. That's how the chain is working, apparently, uh, <clears throat> if you believe she's really hearing from God. Now, um, I would like to invite uh, you out to a very special event, Women on the Frontlines Extreme, coming up very soon in March. I want you to sign up today. Go on xpb.com on the events page. Yeah, probably best if you didn't do this. And look it up. It'll give you all the information of all of our speakers. We've got speakers like Stacey Campbell and Iverna Tompkins and Dr. Gwen Shaw and Clarice Fluitt, Katie Sousa, Fatine. Katie Sousa, star-studded cast of Bible Twister and, well, people who suffer from delusions. Grisetzi and many others. And it's going to be an awesome time. The worship is going to be off the charts. We're believing for a synergy of anointings to come together. We a synergy of anointings. They're praying. They're they're believing for a synergy of anointings. Again, uh, my my brain is just drawing a complete blank. Um, a synergy. Of, they're believing for a synergy of anointings. Mm-hmm. 
Those are words, yes. Um, nothing. I'm just nothing's coming to mind. I have no idea what she's talking about. We have young children ministering, and we have every generation represented. Where we're going to come together, and there's going to be a synergy together. There's going to be absolutely explosive. There's going to be fresh anointings poured out on women. Uh, explosive, fresh anointings poured out on women. Mm-hmm. This doesn't sound good. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just don't like, you know, I, I don't want the women in my life exploding. So, And we're going to pray for divinely appointed marriages, divinely appointed relationships uh-huh. to come together at that time. So sign up today. If you can't be there. Yeah, guys, just so you know, a um, little bit of advice. Okay, you know, being married for almost 24 years, just, just listen, trust me on this, okay? Um. If you meet a gal who went to this thing and she's single and you're single, you, you really probably don't want to um, have her. Li- yeah, I'm just saying, you know, just beware there. She she may not be all there. You know what I'm saying? In person, which is the absolute best because, you know, we started in the morning. If you want to join for worship and intercession and then devotions and then the official conference starts, then you have lunch with the speakers and you go all the way. I mean, it is like power packed for three intense days where by the hour you just get infused and empowered. You're never the same after that. Everything shifts in your life. Yeah, that's a spiritual lobotomy that takes place. After that, so if you can be there in person, be there in person. But if not, the next best thing is register for the live streaming. And not only is it live streaming, if you happen to be working on the day or out of town, we archive it for the month. And so you have the month to actually watch that at your leisure. Every single session, every single worship session. It's yeah, I'll pass. Um, so there you go. Um, <clears throat> again, just practical advice, guys um, and gals. I mean, if you know somebody who who's watched this video and and believes that God is telling, they believe that God's telling them that you're, you guys are supposed to have a supernatural marriage, it's probably best to just walk away from that one. I, you know, I'm going to give you permission because, listen, you, you don't need that kind of spiritual crazy in your life. That's all I'm saying, and you know that we'll just leave it at that. Moving along. Okay, uh, Todd Bentley, um, well... It was a while ago that this was posted, but I just recently found this. Um, he is, There's a video where he shares the secret to miracles. Did you know that there was a secret to miracles? I didn't know that there was a secret to miracles. Usually I so associate spiritual secrets to, well, Gnosticism, which is one of the arch enemies of Christianity. But uh, Todd Bentley here in the, you know, he's kind of discussing um, his miracle working ability, so to speak. And there's a secret to his being able to perform miracles which I don't think he really does perform them, um, nor do I believe that God performs them through him. Um, But, well, here's Todd Bentley discussing the secret to miracles. Here we go. You know, I'm actually really happy when when I'm I'm plugged in and connected to to what God's doing and what God's saying. And, and, you know, when, when miracles are happening or I'm in one of those meetings like in Lakeland, I'm just like a kid in a candy store. I think that's a secret to miracles is a lot of people become been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. I've learned to celebrate every healing. and mm, So that's the secret. So the secret to being able to perform miracles is to celebrate every healing. Be as excited about that healing that you just received, even though I've seen it 10 times or 10,000 times over. And a lot of people just, well, if it isn't, you know, if they're not deaf, blind, you know, it's, well, you know, he just... Come on, Todd. It was scoliosis. You know, that was the 100th case tonight. You know? Yeah, you know, yeah, those, grass, those grassroot miracles, you know, 
clearing up scoliosis. You know, you know, that happens all the time. I mean, you, you can become, you know, somewhat callous to, uh, you know, just how important, you know, a scoliosis healing is. So that's the secret of being able to work miracles is not becoming callous to the fact that, you know, you, you might find yourself, well, you know, seeing God miraculously heal the same disease in a hundred different people in one night. And you don't want to become callous to that. So that's the secret to miracles. But not for you. And see, sometimes we, 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 we get so caught up in the numbers and the, the wow factor of the miracle, we lose the person. You know, and, and, we, and, we, and we disconnect from the story of the person that was just healed. Their hernia healing was just as dramatic to them as, you know, somebody that was totally paralyzed in their leg. Yeah, now keep in mind, if you were to uh, go to, you know, to, to Todd Bentley to have a hernia healed, he might he might get a word from God to you know to kick you in the face um, as a way of healing your hernia. He might actually get a word from God to punch you in the gut to heal your hernia. I'm just saying, you know, that you got to be careful. You know, buyer beware here. You know, and and to us, of course, paralysis is a more dramatic healing than somebody that had a hernia. But when you when do you have any document, you know, like bona fide doctor validation and verification that. Any of the so-called miracles and healings that took place at the Lakeland, quote, revival were real? Uh, last time I heard that, uh, that there's like not even one incident of somebody who was truly healed. I mean, you make it sound like there were so many healings that really took place there, but there's no doctor verification for any of them. You really put yourself in the shoes of the person and you allow yourself to feel... You know, it, it, it's not even about, yeah, the hernia's gone and the pain's gone or my paralyzed leg's gone. No, how about the God of the universe just allowed himself for a moment to come out of heaven to, to your frail frame and you were just brushed up, eternity just brushed you. And that's why your hernia disappeared. You know, it's it's not right through the the through the <clears throat> conduit himself, Todd Bentley. Not just I'm pain free. That's great. But when you begin, the, and so when I was up on the stage, it wasn't just healing power moving through me and healing power moving around me and hearing testimonies. I was overwhelmed with the thought of you know how close God is right now. God is so close right now. He's he's in and through my body healing blind eyes. And it, and, and it wasn't even, wow, This thank God this blind person can see. God is so close. I, I thought God was omnipresent. Uh, is there any place that you can go where God isn't? And what must have that been like to be blind all your life and now you can see? But to think that the God of the universe, eternity, just came down into our natural temporal realm and just brushed away your, I mean... That changes people forever. I mean, people don't forget when they're healed. Yeah, um, that's if they were ever really healed to begin with. Okay, and just to add to the craziness here, again, you, you notice something here. Um, what's missing in all of this? Oh, yeah, God's Word, the Bible. You'll notice that at this point that, well, Patricia King... And Todd Bentley, their words, their experiences, um, they're being substituted at this point for the Word of God. It's, it, it's as if, you know, uh, and now batting for, well, the, the Bible. We've, we've got a substitute. We've got a, we got a pinch hitter. You know, in for the Bible, we've got a direct word from God, supposedly through Patricia King. And uh, now we've got, uh, you know, and batting for the Bible today as a pinch hitter. We've got uh, direct revelations and the secrets to miracles as, uh, as uh, given through the prophet Todd Bentley.
Hmm. You know, and see, that's the thing. If you were to watch any of the documentaries, uh, if you go to YouTube, they they have documentaries and and actual footage from the Lakeland revival from 2008. You watch what you know how that thing went down. People were there showing up with the, somehow the expectation that Todd Bentley had a special anointing from God that that was being exercised in a way that well, no other place on the planet was experiencing that. And people were there really, truly believing that Todd was the man of God. And that thing blew up uh, when he ended up sleeping with his babysitter. But um, the, 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 the point is this, is that what's getting lost here? What God has revealed in his word. What's getting lost here? The message that's revealed in his written word. And that is the message of Christ and him crucified for our sins. All these people are chasing after the the next so-called move of the spirit. You know, they're waiting for the spirit to move again powerfully. You know, it's it's like surfers. Y'all ever seen surfers? Um, you know, I used to live in San Clemente, and surfers. You know, they would. If you have you ever just driven down the coast in San Clemente? At five in the morning, there is a gaggle of surfers. It doesn't matter what day of the year it is. It doesn't matter if it's winter. It doesn't matter if it's the middle of the summer. It doesn't matter if it's spring. It doesn't matter if it's 30 degrees outside. It just doesn't matter. There's always a gaggle of sur- I don't even know if that's the right word for to you know, describe sur- surfers, but there's a group of surfers out there, and what are they doing? Answer, they're waiting. You see them, they're sitting there on their board with their eyes toward the horizon. You know, out their, their eyes are focused intently, watching the swells as they come in to shore, waiting for that next wave to catch. And so here's what's happening. you got all these people out there who are like spiritual surfers, and they're just waiting, waiting, waiting for that next swell of the spirit to come in that next wave and then they and then they rush out there to you know to catch the wave and you know it, it, but that's not how God the Holy Spirit works that's not how God the Holy Spirit works at all how do you know when God the Holy Spirit is working Jesus said that when he sends the spirit the spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief you can tell that God the Holy Spirit is uh, is working powerfully when you're hearing God's word preached, because is not God's word God breathed? Are not the authors, all of the authors of the different books in the scripture, were they not carried along by the Holy Spirit as they as the Spirit inspired them to pen these things? So how do we know the Holy Spirit is working when God's word is being preached correctly, rightly handled, and sinners are confronted with their sins and in Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Savior is placarded for the forgiveness of sins, repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross and his vicarious penal substitutionary death and bodily resurrection from the grave. When all of those are being placarded, you can know for sure that God the Holy Spirit is working powerfully. But these folks, I mean, they're chasing after all kinds of crazy stuff. And as a result of it, they're literally being ensnared by false teachers like, well, Patricia King, Todd Bentley, and, well, this guy. With the galaxy thing? Yep. Can you? I, I don't know if you've released the teaching as much uh, yeah, or, or if it's a future it's, thing. Yeah, it's actually on my website, How right. to Build a Galaxy. And, and, and one of the things that... How, he, how, he, how, 
He's releasing a teaching on his website about how to build a galaxy. This is a gentleman by the name of Ian Clayton. You build a galaxy. Well, it, it comes out of desire. See, your spirit man has a capacity to become who you are in the Father. If I'm in my Father... So my spirit man has the capacity to become who I am in the Father, uh-huh. Then I'm going to be able to do the things my Father does. Right. And to me, there's no greater place than the Father watching you build something that's that He's built Himself, and then supervising you while you do it. Mm-hmm. So, well, m- my heavenly Father built well the universe, and so He's going to supervise me while I do the same thing. It's it's kind of like a father son thing. <laughs> In that experience I had with the person God at that stage, um, it wasn't the most exhilarating thing to watch the formation of something come out of your inner man. Out of desire, out of the RNA of God, being able to build it and create it. Yeah, normally I don't like watching the things that come out of my inner man. Just saying, you know. In perfection in the image of God. You're going to find in the next number of years the whole information about the stars, what they are, their function, is, is going to begin to come back in the body of Christ again because the church has rejected it because the cult world has taken it, polluted it, filled it with darkness and said, you can't, you can't do that. Right, so it's all those people who've suppressed this information. God, God wants you making stars, but there's bad people who've suppressed you from doing this. They don't want you to do it. Uh huh. Well, actually, God put them in place, and it says that the stars are there to shine in the in, in the darkness. And why? But to decree the works of the Lord. <laughs> and so we've and, rejected and, all of that. But uh, the whole uh, versus the astrology, astronomy, right. uh, horoscopes, and all that kind of junk. But you're not talking about that. You're no, talking about not. something else. But what is it that you're, what what is it that you're saying that 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 um, that will have some connection with the stars? Will have some? I, I, I never quite got what the, yeah. the result they, of it they, is. They, they, I mean, this is such an in-depth subject that I've never really talked on it much so far. However, there is... Right, can you point me to any galaxies that you've constructed? Can you point them out to me? There's a truth about the demonic world knows all about the stars. They know how to trade on them and in them, to use them, to reprogram them, to set a course in the heavens through sorcery, through necromancy, through fortune-telling that can begin to move stuff out of what it should be originally aligned for. And that's what horoscopes are all about. Um, when there actually is a truth in the stars regarding um, who Jesus is, his birth, all the stuff is actually spoken about in the stars. And the Bible does talk about yeah. some of the stuff. Uh, and that's, that's yeah. there, yeah. And so, so, so to me, the, the, like the knowledge of some of the stuff is going to become paramount, particularly with regards to the demonic trading on those things and what goes on out there. The problem is we focus so much about, about the earth which is where the enemy wanted us, because if, re- if we realize what's out there, once you change that, you'll change what's on the earth. Uh-huh, really. So that's the secret. you got to understand what's out there, then you'll change what's here. Mm-hmm. You'll notice what's missing here. <clears throat> An open Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because okay. whatever goes on the heavens, and, and are you in the next couple of years? Are you going to be teaching on that? I will be, but not. Yes. <laughs> yeah, or, or a lot of people have a lot of tr- trouble with what I'm already teaching. Let alone when the Bible starts talking about Orion and what it really means to speak to the stars. Okay, so there you go, Ian Clayton. Uh, you can find him at sonofthunder.com. 
Yikes. Yeah, again, wh- what's going on here? Um, somebody speaking language as if this somehow has some connection to, well, what God has revealed in his word, and it doesn't because you're not hearing God's word opened, exegeted, and taught. It, these are just the inner burblings of somebody who is a spiritual surfer, if you would, and likes to catch the latest so-called waves of the spirit. But this has nothing to do with Christianity or God's word or any move of the real Holy Spirit. That's for sure. It's almost sounds crazy. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When we get back, we're going to be reviewing a Phil Pringle sermon that he preached in San Diego in February. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, this sermon can be analyzed from a couple of different perspectives, if you would. I'm going to focus in on the how, but I'm going to point you to a research uh, resource that points you to the what. Let's do this right. Hey, oh. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church in San Diego, California. Phil Pringle presiding. I think Phil's the head of the whole C3 movement. The name of the message is entitled, God Creates with Words. Nothing wrong with that title, per se. I mean, 
Did not God say, let there be light, and there was light? Read Genesis. And the problem is, is what he's doing here. Now, I promised you what I would be doing is showing you the how. But before we get to the how, I want to point you to a resource that will explain the what. Okay? A gentleman by the name of Jake Elliott, who is a li regular listener and regular commenter on my Facebook wall, has uh, he's got a resource website that you can find at c3churchwatch.wordpress.com. That's C as in cat 3, like the number 3, churchwatch.wordpress.com. And um, he's got a, a post that he put up there on March the 16th, that would be today, talking about this sermon and pointing out that there's similarities to what's going on in the content of the sermon to what you would get from, like, the secret, you know, things like that, you know, weird, weird word faithy type stuff, you know, the law of attraction kind of thing. Now, we, I might comment on it uh, as with the sermon review unfolds, but what I'm going to point out here is the how he's doing what he's doing. And that's very critical because when you're listening to any pastor, when he is teaching you stuff, it's basically just making assertions about God that are not clearly taught in God's Word, you can tell he's not teaching the truth. And many times this falls under the category of teaching you along the lines of, well, biblical principles. But if it's really a biblical principle, then don't you think that the principle itself would be clearly and unambiguously taught in God's Word? That's a fair question to ask. So, without any further ado... Da -da -da. Here is, uh, let me kill the music here. Here is Bill Pringle uh, from a sermon he preached in February at C3 Church in San Diego, God Creates with Words. Here we go. Now, I want you to come with me over into John chapter 1. I, uh, you probably got the, the screenings, guys, and probably got uh, Ezekiel 37, but I'm going to get there in about uh, two or three minutes. And uh, I just want to start on John chapter 1, because it's still early enough for me to talk about the beginning of the year. It's just February, you know, like what, the second week of February, you're all back from, well, you don't have holidays in January, do you? Kind of a couple of days here and there, but we have a whole month off, like, well, some people do, and uh, it's like from New Year's till February, it's all hot and holiday time in Sydney, so we're all out lying on the beach and... <clears throat> Uh, and getting melanomas or somewhere, amen, you know, not me, amen. But uh, here, we, here we have uh, this, this incredible word at the beginning of John's gospel where he says, in the beginning was the word. And I thought of this when I thought of you guys because I've just been at the Carlsbad building and it's the second week of a nine o'clock meeting out there. And it has that wonderful, raw feeling of early days, of beginnings. Beginnings of anything are challenging. You know, I mean, a lot of people coming to this church now, and they think, oh, it's like, you know, and it's well established. Okay, now notice he hasn't really read the text yet. He just alludes to it. In the beginning was the word. That's all he's said so far. And now he's off on a bunny trail talking about just beginnings in general. 
Well, John chapter 1 it isn't talking about beginnings in general. In fact, if you have your Bible, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it. Those are the first five verses of the Gospel of John. What's going on here? Well, you'll notice that John is writing for a Gentile audience, not a Jewish audience. And if you're not exactly sure what to make of this of these words, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't get any easier when you look at it with the Greek either, because it says, en arche en halagos, kai halagos en proston theon. Okay, so we got this idea of the logos, which is uh, which is language that is used in the ancient Greek wor- world for, and it means something. And so, when you run across a passage like John one one, which is difficult, it's very precise, and there's a lot going on here. You need a good commentary or a good biblical scholar who knows what he's talking about in order to help unpack this. Now, what I'll do is I'll turn to the uh, the aid of a popular commentary written by a Lutheran by the name of Dr. Paul Kretzman. And his popular commentary, he writes about this passage. He says, In the beginning, when time began, before anything was formed, when God made ready to create heaven and the earth, see Genesis 1.1, when God first called things into existence, it is necessary that the evangelists use some expression, which will, at least in a way, come within the ideas of men, for eternity itself is beyond the understanding of man. In the beginning was the Word, not came the Word, or was brought into existence, but already existed. Yeah, in the beginning was. In the beginning, the Word already existed. And and the Greek word there for beginning, NRK, it's like this understanding of at the beginning of beginnings, the Word already was, okay? Uh, had been in existence since timeless reaches of eternity. Okay, the word was in the beginning. John one one or Revelation one two. The term word or logos is strictly a biblical expression or designation for the second person of the Godhead. For Jesus Christ, he is no creature, no part of the creation. He existed when no part of the creation existed. He is the word which God spoke from eternity, begotten of God from eternity. And he existed not as a dead substance or thing, but he was alive and active. The relation between God and the Logos is next stated, that the word was with God in inseparable nearness and closeness, intercommunion with God the Father, the Logos himself is God, was God from the beginning and from eternity, was always connected most closely with the Father. He is distinct from God in person and not in essence. The the text implies intercourse and therefore separate personality, but though the Word is distinguishable from God in this manner, yet the Word was God in absolute sense, not with a secondary derived meaning. The Word is God, is kind, In kind and essence, Jesus Christ is, according to his nature and essence, true God. A God that would have some uh, one over him as a superior could not be considered God. But the word is co-essential with God in full possession of the Godhead with eternity and all other attributes of the Godhead. So you're sitting there going, okay, that's complicated. Yes, it is. This is not an easy passage 
to really wrap your brain around. In fact, there's so much depth here that theologians for millennia have spent a lot of time commenting on the opening verses to the Gospel of John. But it's important to note this. Who is this passage about? This passage is about Jesus himself, and that's whom John is writing about. And so if you make this passage about anything other or anyone other than Jesus, you're missing the whole point, and you're being distracted, quite devilishly, I might add. You're being distracted away from what's going on here. So let me reread the opening verses and continue reading so that you can kind of get the thrust of what John is writing here in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh, the logos became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks me before ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is the, at the Father's side, he has made him known. So you get who this is about? This, it isn't even about God necessarily creating through the Logos, okay, through words. It's not words in particular that are, it's not words generically that are being discussed here. It's the agency of the world being created through the Logos, who is the Son of God. And this is announcing that this Son of God came to earth and was incarnate and found in the flesh, came to his own, and his own did not know him. And all who receive him, he's given the right to become children of God. This is all about Jesus. But let's see what, well, Phil Pringle does with this text to see if he points us to Jesus or something else. Already we're off to a bad start because he's like read part of the verse of chapter 1, verse 1. And now he's just talking about generic beginnings. See, all the scriptures about Christ and this passage doubly so. You were not here at the real beginning where there's like three people in the hall and you're praying for 10 people to get saved. I've been in those sort of situations so many times, starting churches. And, uh, and I love getting with pastors who are just starting things. I'm always starting things. I am starting about five things this year. One of my big dreams is to have a C3 Express 
in every mall in Australia and maybe in America. I just need a, a lazy billion dollars. That's all I need. Because each one's a little auditorium. Yeah, well, now he's talking about himself and some vision he has. It only cost a billion dollars. C3 Expresses, yeesh. Sounds like a franchise that sells heresy. Yeah, yeah this is not what John 1-1 is about, by the way. ...of 50 seats with a big cafe out the front, so it's a connection area. And uh, it starts at 10 o'clock every day, and there's a one-hour one hour show where uh, somebody teaches on how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to raise your teenagers, how to change diapers, how to, how to keep your marriage together, just help. Sounds like practical advice. How about repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Helpful instruction thing where people can escape the mall, go in and sit down, and, and the session starts, and they get to get a connection with, with church on the weekends. And, and drive all the traffic that way, amen. And then at night you'd have, you know, uh, Bible study, you know, college nights, have church on Sundays, have one-hour church, 45-minute church services where people discover and get a taste of what the Lord's about. And then they come into big church, you know, in the, at, a, at a major campus. And uh, I just dream about this, okay? I'm dreaming out loud right now. And uh, just in case. Yeah, that's great and all, but um, your job is to preach the word, uh, Phil. Um... What does this have to do with John 1 1? Hey, somebody's got a lazy billion around. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to start a prototype this year uh, down in, near, near where we live. Uh, we can man it with students, get all of our interns doing stuff, and all of our creative people, they can go and launch an album one night, and it'll be all screen run, huge screen going across, best sound system in the world, state of the art, little, little place where they can feel the presence of God all day long. And have all these buzzy people out in the cafe, be the buzziest place in the whole mall. People who wonder, why is that going on? All the screens and the music and blah, 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 you know, like, just like it is at the foyer of a church, man. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to need about 500 pastors of C3 Express. We need them in colleges. We need to train these people. We're going to be doing this all around the world. We're going to start a thousand of these in the next eight years, too. Well, about another. Yeah. Well, great. Can hardly wait thousand about it's actually about 700 now but uh we're starting we started three churches last weekend one in cm rip in uh cambodia your sister your daughter was doing that amen i saw you and uh janine kabala was there helping start that church um josh elsie was in saskatoon we started a church in saskatoon last weekend in canada uh i know you don't know it's, it's a place north of America. It's just, it's quite a big place, but I don't know, we don't talk about America. Okay, you know. But we've got like 15 churches up there. Incredible. They, they can even become Christians up there in Canada. Uh, astonishing. Yeah, yeah. God bless the Canucks. Uh, and then we started, where else did we start one? We started one uh, somewhere else. Anyway, oh, we started, we, you started your morning service in Carlsbad last, last week. Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are seasons where C3 is starting a brand new church every day. Just before the end of last year, for a couple months, there was one new church every day. We started in one week, 30 in the Philippines. I was in the meeting where we, where, where we, where we did that. You know, all these people turning up. And we're in Africa in, in, in a couple of weeks. We're in New Zealand in one week. I'm in, then I'm in uh, uh, oh, somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> But what based upon how badly he's off topic, I don't think it's a good thing that they're starting all these new C3 churches.
What I'm saying to you, you're part of something that's very global. And uh, I, I can guarantee you, some of you will be going and planning a church whether it's here on the West Coast, somewhere in America, you, you might be running one of these C3 Express deals, or you'll be building, most of us here. <laughs> Some of you will be. Oh, okay. They will stay here building this great church of God. Is, there's going to be 10,000 people in this church. We will need every person we can get our hands on to look after all that's happening without any shadow of a doubt. And it'll be not just a gathering, it'll be a building. You know, it's not just about putting on some religious entertainment each weekend. It's about building and transforming lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm thrilled to be here with two of the greatest people on earth, Jürgen and Leanne. Love these guys with all our heart. We just uh, think they're marvelous and uh, he's radical. Just a reminder, I'm going to focus on the how, the what is, you can find it again at c3churchwatch.wordpress.com. The name of the article is entitled The Secret to Phil Pringle's Doctrine of Faith. It, it, it explains the what, okay? Just want to remind you, if you want to, if you want a, a different approach to this, you know, to reviewing this sermon, as far as the content that we're going to hear uh, and and its connections to another famous uh, false doctrine, uh, you got to go to c3churchwatch.wordpress.com. Let's continue with this. I don't know. Is it a sermon at this point? I don't know what this is. Enough to keep taking steps and stepping out, and that classy enough to attract the best people in San Diego. And uh, your team is uh, amongst the best in the world, and there is no doubt about that. Even Matt is uh, incredible. Amen. He's just amazing. He helped me look after a Harley Davidson motorbike last year that we purchased and uh, gave me a leather jacket to go with it. Incredible. Amen. I've lost a bit of weight then, so I had to on-give it. Amen. I felt so generous, you know, uh, yeah, but that was good. Wonderful. So good to see all you guys. Okay, now come with me to this because in 25 minutes, I want to change your world. Lend me your brains and I'll change your life. Okay, in, in, in John chapter 1, in the beginning, in the beginning of Carlsbad, in the beginning of San Diego C3, in the beginning of 2012, in the beginning of this, this time of beginning, there's got to be a way that God does stuff in beginnings. How does God start things? What okay, now, I'm going to point something out here. John 1 does not explain how God starts things. It, that's not what the text is about. The text is to tell us about who Jesus is. And it tells us at the beginning of beginnings, the NRK, okay? In the beginning of beginnings, the Word was already existing, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we just read it. John 1 is does not teach. And here's how God begins beginnings. That's not what this is about. So what he's trying to do here is basically get behind the text to see how the gears and wheels move when God creates and begins things. But the text itself doesn't reveal that. It is simply telling us about Jesus and who he is. You can think of it this way. It's giving us the credentials of Jesus, the Logos to Theo, the word of God, right? We continue. What's a God start to a thing? 
Is it an accident? Is it evolution? Certainly not evolution. That's a bunch of nonsense. Just, just, just forget about evolution. It's too ridiculous to even believe that it, you know, is even conceivable that the so-called scientists who once said the world was flat, you know, who thought you couldn't breathe when you're going 50 miles an hour, or, you know, the, the, the scientists are telling, you know, well, whatever that is. You know, it's like, but this book, I tell you, has been, got the truth in it ever since the world began. And it is saying, God created. So God created, and he creates uh, by a particular way, by a method, by a principle. Okay, now I want to point something out here. Yes, it does say in Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light. You could say that God created the universe via the agency of, well, words. He spoke the worlds into existence. Absolutely true. But here's the deal. Notice again, he's trying to get behind the text to reveal something that God's word doesn't reveal, per se. Okay? Listening, keep listening. And, uh, and so we discover that in, uh, in this first chapter. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. All right. Let's go back to that top part. you got to understand that, that he says, in the beginning was the word. This is the way that God creates things, with words. Mm. In John 1.1, the logos, the word that's being referred to, is Jesus. It's not revealing a method by which God creates. The word, the logos, to theo, the halagos to theo, the word of God, is referring to Jesus. God creates with words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So here's the fascinating thing. We can understand the principle of how God does things, and often our hearts want to act independently of God using a principle of God. John 1.1 is not teaching a principle of God. And the difference between discovering principles that can be put in any motivational book, any sort of metaphysical book like The Secret or Understanding the Universe, you know, these kind of things that have no reference to the Lord, but understand principles. Now there's the principle of seed, which is a huge principle in the kingdom of God. The principle of seed. Hmm. Now here's the point I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of keep hammering at. Watch the technique. The technique is important because he's not really exegeting a clear biblical passage. If he was, then he would turn to a particular book or a letter or one of the writings of the prophets, and it would clearly and unambiguously say this is a principle of this, and this is to be applied and understood this way. Instead, he's taking a metaphor of seed time and harvest, which is an analogy that Jesus uses and Scripture uses to teach a, a spiritual truth, and he's basically at this point turning it into some kind of a cosmic principle all by itself without a clear teaching on it. Okay, 
So he's teaching a doctrine that has never before been seen until really recent in Christian history, recently in Christian history. Why? Because it's not based upon exegesis. This is actually a form of, well, a slipshod, rough handling of the text, if you would. If I take a seed, I can plant in the ground, whether I'm young, old, rich, poor, if I'm a good person or a bad person, that seed's still going to come up out of the ground. The seed, the principle, operates independently of, my, of the condition of the person. And we all need to understand that there are principles that you can operate independent of God. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a little concerned at this point. Yes, it's true that if I were to go and plant corn, okay, we got corn farmers here in central Indiana. That seems to be the, the major cash crop of the local farmers in, uh, in the state of Indiana. And I'm sure that there, you know, there are different degrees of moral standing of the different farmers out there. Some of them are more moral by, you know, earthly standards than others are. Okay. That being the case, would you expect that the corn planted by the more moral farmer would would yield a greater harvest than the uh yeah the idea is is that god causes the sun and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike okay so yeah that works in the case of physical seeds but what are you talking about and where is this taught in scripture that you don't have to know from god whether you should plant that seed or not But you see, he is saying, I want you to bring the principles of God, understand these principles of God, and then use them with God. Uh, No, this is not what John 1-1 teaches at all. You You can't get this out of this text. Not use them apart from God. Healing, all these areas, there are keys, there are principles, there are, I could, I could, Give you a lesson now. In- yeah, why don't you show us from clear passages where these keys and principles are unambiguously taught? Show us how this is consistent with what the church has understood by pointing to the same teaching, maybe in the writings of the church fathers. 15 minutes on how to work a miracle. It's simple. It's not hard to work a miracle. You got a miracle working power on the inside of you. But you see, that principle is of no value without God being involved in the whole thing. Jesus knew how to work a miracle, but when he went into the pool of Bethsaida... Jesus knew how to work a miracle. He's God in human flesh. I I would assume he understands how to work a miracle since he's God. There were were hundreds of people who were sick there, but he only healed one guy. Why did he only heal one guy? He knew how to work a miracle, but God had told him, that's the guy I want you to heal. Um, Where in the biblical text does it say why only one person was healed? Nowhere in that story does it say why. And I don't recall God the Father saying, that's the guy I want you to heal. You're, You're inserting things into the biblical text that aren't there. And by the way, the reason he's able to do this is because he's not reading from the Bible. That's always a red flag. Run when this is happening. And he healed that guy. You can't get a hold of the principles of God from him and then say, I'm going to operate them independently of you. When Joshua came to the land of Canaan and God said, everywhere the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. You put these words in your mouth, whatever you put your hand to, you will prosper. And he thinks, wow, principles, wherever I put my feet, wherever, whatever I say, God had said, I want you to take the land of Canaan. He didn't say, wow, 
wherever I'm going to put my feet, whatever I say, I think I'll go off and take India first. Because God had said, use my principles to achieve my purposes. Uh, no, the text doesn't say that. God made that a promise, and the reason why that came about is because the, prom- the one promising, uh, well, is God, and he doesn't renege on his promises. When he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, it doesn't say anywhere in those texts that you need to apply these principles to bring them about. It doesn't say that. You can't find a biblical text that says that, especially regarding Joshua. And that's why we've got to understand that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was God. So we need to connect principle and person. And i got to tell you, Jesus is way more important than any principles you'll ever discover. Because suddenly this goes from in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus, the Word, is a person. And if you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. You'll find that He is looking for relationship with you more than anything else. In fact, He will even allow sometimes a little... Notice, assertion, 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 no text to back it up, just assertion. He's just throwing out these assertions about Jesus without actually teaching it from the biblical text. This is not biblical teaching. Trouble, a little pain in your world to get your attention. And you know, it's it's a funny thing that when people, people get into trouble, they often go to the wrong places for the answers. Sometimes that knocking on your world can be Jesus knocking on the thing that's between you and Him. And you're holding on to it and keeping it shut, but He wants you to open it up. When He came to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3.20, He says, look, I'm knocking on the door. And He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to you and me. I'm knocking on your door. The trouble with this door, the handle is on the inside. There's no handle on the outside. He can- oh, man. I mean, Revelation 3.20 just doesn't quite say what he's trying to make it say. Jesus, okay, has the Apostle John write a letter to the angel, or you could say the pastor, the church in Laodicea, okay? And things were really going bad there in Laodicea. If you understand Laodicea historically, historically was a very wealthy town, famous for its uh, ISAV, uh, it was a, a, basically a vacation town known for its hot springs, that kind of stuff. And uh, Jesus uh, has the Apostle John write a very harsh word to the church in Laodicea. Here's what it says, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. It's a reference to the hot springs in Laodicea, so they're they're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. Mm-hmm. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's no way to talk to a you know a church full of affluent wealthy people whose town is famous for their eye salve and their hot springs. You know Jesus is making allusions to the things around them. So even though these people are 
by the world standard, really wealthy, really affluent, very successful. Jesus tells them what they really are. They are not rich, they're poor. Okay? They're not they're not important, they're wretched. They're pitiable, blind, and naked. So Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Ouch, these are harsh words. Jesus is speaking. Why? Because he wants them to repent and to be forgiven, right? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Now, this the, the picture here is ridiculous. Jesus is standing outside the door of the church of Laodicea and knocking. It do, it's, not that the, it's not that there is no doorknob on the outside. The text doesn't say that. It's ridiculous, okay? The point is, is Jesus is trying to make a point, and that is, is that, hello, um, as weird as this sounds, you guys are a church. I'm standing outside of your church and knocking, saying, let me in. That's kind of a weird spot for Jesus to be at a church, don't you think? That's the point that Jesus is making. He's outside the church. Why? Because they put him outside, okay? Through their confidence in their wealth and their affluence and their, well, their lukewarmness. Jesus is now outside the church rather than inside where he should be. Okay. So behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father in his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Doesn't say anything about the doorknob being on the outside of the door, does it? He's Here's the deal. I'm, I told you I'm focusing on the on the uh, on the how, not necessarily the what. He is just spinning out all of these assertions about God, and the reason why he's able to do it is because he's not bound by a text, and he's not teaching a text. He's hopscotching all over the place, telling you about texts that sound familiar, that sound biblical, but he's not actually exegeting. He's spinning his own theology. And by misquoting and mischaracterizing the text, he's able to spin his own theology rather than teach you what God's Word actually reveals. Can't come up the door and say, hey, I'm coming in. All he can do is knock. You've got to open up. You're the one who says, okay, this thing that's between me and you, Lord, this, this wall that, that you're knocking on, okay, I'll open up. I'll open up to you. And it happens to all of us. I was telling the Carlsbad uh, guys, and I've never told this story. My daughter thinks I've told it once uh, that she's heard me. Anyway, I, I didn't think I'd told it ever. But a number of years ago, long time ago, somebody gave me a Rolex watch. They gave me a, a, a and I checked out the price. I thought, wow, that's a decent gift. It was like a six thousand dollar watch. And I thought, wow, thank you very much. You know, that's so nice. Okay, now listen to the story here. I, I don't know what a Rolex watch has to do with anything, but the point of the story is he's going to talk about how he constantly gives things away. Makes me wonder if the reason why he's telling this particular story is to kind of prime the mental pump to try to get these people to give things away of high value too. Maybe write large checks for his uh, C3, mini C3 franchises that he wants to you know, plan. He only needs a billion dollars to do it. But then 
a few years later, somebody else gave me one because I've given away like I don't know how many watches, maybe maybe twenty. Uh, you know, people would give me this, or I'd, I'd think of you know this person might like that, and I'd give it to them. Okay, so this person comes up to me one day uh, in a minute. He says, "Look, I want to give you this gift," and look, and it was like a, a super duper Rolex watch. It was like I, I went online, check out twenty five thousand dollars, and I'm, golly. I, I, I put it on, you know, and I, so it's very heavy. I can do weights, man. So I go to church, and I'm going like, thank you, Jesus. I was too scared to lift this hand up. Amen. <laughs> all, all the people were looking and going like, yeah, he's, he's into, the, into the tithes, you know. He's uh, like, whatever, you know. And I, I, I thought, you know, and so I, I do, do the little, you know, the the low Pentecost deal, you know, like, if I got a little excited, I could get it up there, but then it was just that, uh, amen, Jesus. But I kind of got used to it, I don't know, I'm feeling okay, like, take that, Jesus, amen, you know, you guys just look at that, and uh, no, I wasn't bothered, but anyway, I, you know, I, I sort of got over that, and, uh, and, and then I start to kind of like it, you know, once you got over the, the initial shock of having something like that on you. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm sitting in a meeting about two years after I've had this watch, and this guy's preaching at our men's conference, and the Lord says to me, "Give him the watch." No, no. Like okay, now, he's telling a life story. God told him to do this, and now, he, and then, what? Watch what he does here. He's going to make some kind of spiritual principle connection from this life story. This is not biblical teaching, though. I, I, I give away anything. My wife nails things down in our house because I, 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 I don't even I don't even look at what I'm given sometimes. I just think, if they need that, you know, it's there. But this watch got me. I'm going like, no, I get it. I like, I really, really that's, that's not the Lord. He, he so loves me, you know. Delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desire. As if he'd asked me to do that. That's nah, so not you, Lord. You know, so I didn't. I didn't give it to him. So then I, I went away and, and I, I, I couldn't put it on. I felt like I was wearing something that didn't belong to me. So I left it in the... But then I started wearing the other cheaper Rolex. Still had a little bit of street cred, you know, class. <laughs> So I'm walking around, I got, I got this other, you know, submarine thing, you know, the blackface and, and that. And I'm at a conference in England, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll give this one away, and that'll fix up the other one. You know, that'll be like atonement for the other one. <laughs> be like I can get away with not, not dealing with the other, the other one. But God had never told me to do that. Now notice, we're talking about a $25,000 Rolex. With this one. But I go like that. I gave it to this guy. I said, would you wear these? Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, thanks. Uh, good, 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 whatever. So I go back home, and I, I can't still wear it, but I, I get to just put it on. I feel okay. I'm wearing somebody else's watch, but it's all right, you know, even though it is mine, and I'm feeling a bit funny about it, you know. I'm sitting in the men's conference meeting again, and this guy, for some reason, is back there preaching this year. And I'd forgotten all about it. I thought, I've dealt with it. Praise Jesus. I really, I sort of tricked God or something, you know I mean? <laughs> I turned for it. And I'm sitting there, and, uh, and he says, give it to him. I go, God, we dealt with that. 
Like it's out of my consciousness. Now, he's going to exegete uh, the biblical principle out of the story, but this is not a biblical story. This is his life experiences. And again, I have to, you know, just throw a flag on the play and, and, you know, call a foul here. I'm convinced, having listened to this a few times now, the reason he's telling this story is because he wants to cultivate in the folks there in San Diego this idea that giving away $25,000 because you believe God's telling you to do so is a normal thing. I think that's the reason why he's telling this story. This is about getting people to write large checks. No, you got to do it. Lord. Okay, so I thought this time I'm just going to get totally ruthless, cold, chill out, you know, don't feel it. Just go up to him and, and say, so I went up to him. I said, would you wear this if I gave it? And he, he, he went, uh, yeah, yeah. I said, you know what it is. I said, you know, we can kind of share it or something. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Yeah. I said, uh, you know, you understand. I, I did say that. You understand this, what the deal is. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, so I got to. He started crying and crying and crying. Big guy, 60 years old. And I'm like, what are you crying for? So I just left my church. I left them with like, uh, I think it was a 10 or $20 million building, debt-free. We've worked hard. 30 years have been there. Started all these churches, done all sorts of things. And they pretty well just shook my hand. I said, see ya. He said, this is like the Lord saying, thank you for what you've done. It's my gold watch, you know. Yeah, that he's given. So you kind of don't know what you're doing when you listen to the Lord. It wasn't me saying, oh, I'm going to sow seed right now. It's about actually doing things that God has given you. And God will always ask you to give things that he's given you. There's the teaching. God is always going to ask you to give things that he's given you. Hmm. Notice that this is not based on a biblical text. This is based upon a life experience. And it's questionable as to whether or not God really is the one who told him to give that guy that watch. Because it's not based on anything that's revealed in God's word. Biblically. So there's the principle. If God gives you something, he's probably going to tell you to give it away. You know, to the tune of $25,000. I mean, Phil Pringle had to give up give up a Rolex. He'll probably ask you to do the same thing. You know, like, you know, that bonus check you got, the, uh, you know, or maybe your life savings or your 401k, things like that. I mean, he's, he, he's, I mean, keep in mind, Phil Pringle's got a big vision. It's going to cost a billion dollars. And, uh, and so, you know, but so he's now making it appear that, well, hey, you know, God gives you something, he's probably going to tell you to give it away. This is very deceptive, very manipulative. This is what it means, by the way, when God on Mount Sinai reveals to the children of Israel, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That carries with it this understanding that you put words into God's mouth that he never spoke, that you manipulate and rob people by creating the pretense that, well, God wants them to do particular things like give away money and cars and Rolexes and things like that. This is what it means to take God's name in vain. So now this this one. (laughs) My wife was in Korea with me in October 
and she went to one of the knockoff shops. 249 fake Rolex. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, hot dog. <laughs> it, it busted. Last week it fell to bits. <laughs> so we went to the one shop. We got it fixed up for $35. Amen. So it's now worth $275. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> there are bits falling. Amen. Well, thank you, Lord. She said, have that until the Lord looks after you. Amen. She said until I, she's, she's going to go, you know, but anyway, Valentine's Day is Tuesday, amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. What I'm saying to you is that when you're involved with a person, not just a principal, living this Christian life is a whole lot different. It's not just about saying, I'm going to sow some seed, saying, Lord, what would you want me to do? You see, when, when that prophet came into the widow's house, he said, what will I do for you? Ask a question, you'll get an answer. Now, he's, he's referring to, I think, the, what is it, the widow of Nain, uh, prophet Elijah. Um, he's not actually telling the story. He's just ripping a particular sentence or phrase out of context to create the impression that he's teaching what the Bible says but he's not exegeting. He's not actually in the text reading it so that we can see it in context and hear what the what God revealed there and inspired to be written in context. He just snatched, you know, a statement and now he's weaving a theology out of that snatched out statement. Not good. God will talk to you. A lot of us just go ahead before we've stopped and asked, what should I do? Why don't you ask the Lord about this year, what should I do? That's scary, huh? Because he might answer you, right? And notice this, this again, kind of creates the expectation. God's going to ask you to do something. And he's already planted the seed in their mind. Probably, you know, he's going to have you give away something that he gave you. Mm -hmm. And he might tell you to do something that you kind of weren't prepared for. But it'll be like the best thing that could ever be happening in your world to actually do what the Lord's talking to you about. And I find that the answer comes immediately. I don't go, what will I do, Lord? It's never like that. I go like, what I, before I've even said do, I've got the answer. I know exactly. That's if you're a prayerful person, if you're alive, you know, got your connections going on. And, and if so if you're not a prayerful person, it might take a week or two for God to answer you because, I mean, he doesn't have the time of day for you if you're not prayerful enough. Yeah, confusion of long gospel here. And once you've got that, that guy got another question. He said to the girl, what do you have in your house? He got another question. He, didn't, he was a prophet and he didn't know what she had. What he did have was another question. What do you have in the house? It didn't matter what she had in the house. Whatever she had, God could use. Whatever you need this year for your miracle, it's in your house. Pastor, whatever you... Whatever you need for your miracle, it's in your house? What? Whatever you need, connect group leader, whatever you need, it's right there in your house. For Samson, it was the jawbone of an ass. It was right there within his reach. For Moses, it's like, what do you got? I got a stick. That'll do. We'll use that. What's this woman got? What do you got? 
I got, I got nothing. She thought she had nothing. Like a lot of believers think they got nothing. Think I got nothing. What could I have? So for you to get your miracle, you've probably already got it. You, in order for you to sow the seed, you've already probably got the thing in your house. It's probably sitting in your bank account. But you have got, you have got a God who can take nothing and create something out of it. In the beginning was the Word. So she had a little flask of oil. She said, ah, oh, I got nothing except a little flask of oil. She was going to lose the next generation to the devil. The next generation were going to be swallowed up by the creditor coming because of the debt levels in her home and the unexpected happened. The person who could pay the debt died. So God moved in, who was the great debt coverer. He said, I'll cover it, but I'll do it with a miracle. What do you got? Start pouring it out. Whatever you've got, start pouring it out. And as you start pouring... So notice the technique. Whatever you've got, start pouring it out. Again, the, the way the story is being told, the illusion here, the seed that's being planted in the minds of these folks is that they're supposed to start pouring out money. That will then be considered a seed that God will then bless and multiply back to them. This is a Ponzi scheme. This is false doctrine. This is what it means for somebody to make merchandise of another. You'll start discovering the infinite ability, inexhaustible capacity, unending, infinite resources of God are at your disposal. All you got to do is start pouring. Start pouring. What do you got in your house? You see, I, had, I explained last night, if you were there, I talked about art. For me, you know, it's like I gave it away. I didn't do it for years, but then I... Now, he's not going to say it directly, but he's going to tell another story where money is brought in. What have you got in your house? Now, he's not going to say, oh, the thing you have in your house is money, so start writing a check, start pouring it out. So, no, that's, that's a little too direct. You know, he's trying to plant the seed in people's mind that they need to start writing checks. He wants to, um, yeah, notice the, the, I'm using his metaphor here. He's planting the thought in their mind here. So what do you have in your house that God needs or God wants? Well, I'm not going to say money directly, but I'll tell another story and the punchline is money so that you, you know, it, it's a subtle persuasion and reinforcing the, the message focusing in on money. I discovered just one little groove. And since then, I've been able to raise literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for the kingdom. I give most of it away. For, and, and just through painting some things on a canvas, my Lord. Who would have thought I would never have dreamed in my wildest dreams that that was possible. And it's only going to keep growing and growing and growing because I'm going to keep pouring and pouring. I go down there with my daughter. We, we'll pour, man. We, I, I'll do like 50 paintings in one go. Uh, we, we just go and go and go because I haven't got a lot of time, so I need to go for it when I can. And, and then preaching and all the things you've got, you've got something in your world that you can use, whether you're a business person, whether you're a house, uh, you know, a mother looking after the kids in your house. You might say, I've got nothing. I don't know what I could do. It's incredible what you've got. The colonel... He, he went through a list of things that he had. And, and about number 10 was his mother's way of cooking chicken. He was 65 years old. 
said, I don't want to die rocking back and forth. And now he's going to tell the story of uh, Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. I have no idea what this has to do with anything in the Bible. And I don't recall the story of Colonel Sanders starting Kentucky Fried Chicken as a means of pouring out what God had given him so that he can plant a seed and for God to multiply it and bless it back to him. I don't recall that being part of the story. But then again, I'm not exactly the greatest fan of KFC either. On a veranda, getting a social security check. So he went down to the local restaurant, said, can I cook this? And he did. Seven herbs and spices. Became the most popular item on the menu. So he started his own shop because everybody wanted it. Then, then there were lines out there. He thought, And people said, can I start one of these shops? He said, I'll start a franchise. Went to the bank. Said, I need three million bucks. Start a franchise. Uh, the guy says, uh, how long you want to... Again, another story about money. Repay it for? He said, 30 years. How old are you? 65. <laughs> Ain't going to work. I'm not giving you any money. 1,000 banks later. One th- he went to like 1,000 banks. Finally got some guy who must have had... Too much tamazepan that morning. He said, yes. And he got his, he's got his KFC thing going. Got his loan. Since then, a lot of chickens have died. But, but you know, you know he, just, he just identified something that he had in the house. Something I've got in my life that I can actually do something with. You know, uh, I read the story the other day of of somebody here in Chicago, in America. The recession hit and they lost their job and they didn't know what to do. So he didn't want to lose the discipline of getting up every morning though. So he got up every morning and would go along the streets and there was snow everywhere. So he just said to a person, do you mind, I'll shovel your your driveway. I'll I'll clear out your driveway. So he just started shoveling, shoveling people's driveways. And the first people, he said, let, let me pay. He said, no, 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 I'll just do it. I'm getting benefits from the government, you know, whatever. But after a while, he had so many who said, can you come and do it tomorrow? Can you come and do it then? Can you he said, okay. And he got a little regular thing going on. He said, okay, well, I'll start taking a wage. And then he got himself a snowmobile machine and he brought his son along and they both started doing all the driveways up and down the, the, these, these streets in his neighborhood. And he was making more money from that. than Notice another story about money. He's, at this point, trying to create an impression. He asks a question and then tells stories about money. Without You, know, you get what, what's going on here. This is manipulation to get people to write checks. And his job before. And then summertime came and there was no more snow. So he said, well, look, to the same people, he said, do you want me to clear house? I'll clear out your attic for you. They said, oh, yeah, go up there, please. That would be great. Just take it all away. You can have it, whatever's up there. So we found all these old antiques, all this old-fashioned sort of pumps and things up there that were, that were selling for like 10 times the price that you'd think they'd get. And so he started this antique store, and he became a multimillionaire just because he just went out and started doing something. He did it for nothing, but you got to understand. Now, somehow this is supposedly because of a particular principle. God's going to take something you've already got. You just need to start pouring it out, and then it'll be multiplied back to you. The Bible doesn't say this. The Bible doesn't teach this. If it taught it, if God really wanted us to believe it, he would have explained it to us 
in very clear, unambiguous language. But this is just, well, Phil Pringle trying to look behind the text, but he's never actually teaching any texts at all. These are just life experiences of different people, random folks. See, they poured things out and look at that. Now they're millionaires. You got to do the same thing too, because there's a principle at play here. But this principle isn't taught in John 1 1. It's not taught in the story of the widow of Nain. It, it, in fact, the Bible doesn't say this. You will look long and hard to find a biblical text in context that says anything even remotely approaching this. Let me tell you something. Some people think we work for money. Ah, you don't work for money. Work in itself is its own therapy. It's awesome just to do things. God didn't say to Adam and Eve, hey, Ed, Eve, come over here. Look after the garden. Uh, I think it's worth about 1500 bucks a week. Uh, I'll pay you. It was just look after the garden, and the garden will yield to you. And so once you start to understand, as you get active, start pouring, you're going to find yourself with an abundance in your world. You don't have to sit around just because... No text says this. Because nobody's going to pay you. We can actually get out there and, and do stuff that makes the world go around. Now, all things are made through this word. I cannot believe I've got three minutes, 45 seconds to go. All things are made through this word? If I talk fast, can you listen real quick? All right, I want you to come over to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord came upon me, and it brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Okay. So then it says, Then he caused me to pass by them all around about. There were very many in the open valley. They were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, You know. He said, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What do you do at the beginning of a thing? What do you do in the valley of a thing? Words. In the valley of a thing? Huh? What will I say, Lord? That's what he said. It's not just about speaking words. Now, you can go to 100 motivational seminars, and they'll say, you got to have a positive confession. Here's my 10 positive confessions. Positive confession is the word faith heresy. Confessions, I say in the shower every day. Here's 10, 20 positive confessions. You say about this, say about that. Books have been written. All kinds of things have come out about the principle. But I want to get that principle. Yeah, that would be like the secret. Full and the person mesh together. What will I say, Lord? Ezekiel submitted himself to God. What do you want me to say, Lord? That's where the power is. Even Jesus said, I cannot do anything. Huh? Where does it say that's where the power is? No text says that. He's just making an assertion. Except the Father shows me. I can't do anything beyond what he has shown me I can do. So The text doesn't say I can't do anything beyond that. And keep in mind, you're talking about Jesus, the God-man, in his state of humility. So Jesus didn't heal all those people, didn't heal the beggar at the gate beautiful. All those years he was going in and out of the temple, that beggar was still there. And Peter came along one day and the Lord said to him, now's the moment. There is a perfect timing for everything. And if we could all listen. The text doesn't say this. To what God is guiding and leading us to do. We become such a powerful army. Instead of running off in presumption, 
thinking I can use the principles to achieve things for God. We'd be better to wait, draw near to Jesus, because He's way more important than any principle. You've got to understand that Jesus Himself wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just have a great relationship with a principle. Wow, this principle is amazing. God, I have discovered this principle. He would like you to be that excited about Him, the person, Jesus Himself. When you read Song of Solomon, you read about this, this girl who's been taken to Jerusalem, drop-dead gorgeous, because Solomon's talent scouts are out looking for his thousand wives, and he's looking for the best looking in the land. So all these girls come into town, but there's a lament in some of them, and especially this one girl, because she had a boyfriend. And now... Notice the sappy music is now playing in the background. Now she's torn between the glitzy world of Saul or her shepherd's boy organic kind of lifestyle down at the farm, you know? So it's like, oh, I like all the jewelry, you know? Like, and I, you know, I love, oh, I'm praying with the girls and nailed pennies every day and goat's milk. And, oh, it's so nice. And they're all talking to each other. We take the talk. You know? And then she goes, oh, but my shepherd boy. And, 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 and she, she occasionally says, I'm so lovesick. Oh. I don't know if I should be here. I wish I was back there. But I can't because I'm the king. And I said, yes. So she's pining for him. And she has this dream. She has this dream where it says her, her heart, she's asleep, but her heart's awake. And she says, oh, I, you know, I really want him to, to come. And she has this fear dream. And she hears the knock on the door that I talked about before. And she said, oh, I can't get up. It's two o'clock in the morning. I go to bed. And that's a feeling all of us get. If the Lord wakes you up, you're like, oh. Now notice he's not really teaching the text. He's just kind of summarizing it the way he wants to tell the story, not the way the story's really told. There's a big difference between exegeting a passage and, well, talking about it. He's talking about the passage, but he's not preaching it. Six o'clock, Lord, you know, wait a land. He said, no, no. So she, she, she was losing her passion for the person. Her love was for the prosperity and the blessing of the hand of God, but she wasn't so much after his face anymore. Huh? But then she, he put his hand to the door, and she saw his hand. The hand of God comes in your world moves you. She got moved. She said, oh, I got up and I was anointed. Felt the anointing all over my hands. Put my hands to the door, but he was gone. So I had to pursue him. I had to run after him. You know, uh, you know uh, I've been married 40 years, okay? I'm in my, but we've known each other maybe 40, 45 years. Because I met her when I was 16. Chris was 15. And uh, I'd ring her up once we met each other. And uh, her phone number was 3049. Uh, my phone number was 5134. You can tell it was a pretty big town. <laughs> I ring up and say, hey, how you doing? She'd say, ah, oh, good, good, good. How are you? I'd say, like, um, yeah, good. What, what you doing now? Like, um, oh, 
nothing much different from when you called me 10 minutes ago. You know, like, Uh, you still there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm here. And you're just there, breathing. How weird is that? <laughs> it's called relation. It's called love. It's enough. Stop. Could you go down there and get that bread for me, please? You know, I mean, God didn't think, I didn't, I like, I didn't think, Chris, these lawns, I don't want to move these lawns anymore. Let's have a child. <laughs> so we can get these, mo- these lawns mowed. And Chris didn't think, oh, I'm sick of doing dishes. Let's have a daughter. Get somebody else to do these dishes. It's not like, God's got a job for you and that's all there is to it. He didn't have you because he he needed some jobs getting done, some chores around the kingdom. He had you because he loves you, because he wants a relationship. He wants to breathe with you. wants just to sit with you, hang out with you. There's a lot of daylight between the person and the principles. Jesus needs to be centralized. The first pursuit of our life. He's enough. Even if you're missing some of the stuff, his hand isn't working for you right now. Maybe it's so he can look at his face. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. Now, he's, basically, these are law passages taken out of context. Where's the gospel? God, come and touch our lives, touch our hand, touch, touch, do this, do this, do this. Just stop that for a second. Just come to me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You got to know that church is different from everywhere else because God lives there. Not just a bunch of principles on how to do great life. I can preach all that stuff till the cows come home. I know more. You know, most of the principles of the Bible, they're easy to understand. They're incredible. But in the middle of it all, there's a pearl of greatest price. That's worth letting go all the other pearls for that pearl. His name is Jesus. So you know, uh, some of us might have been away from the law. We haven't picked up the phone for a while. Or we've just been picking it up to, to tell him stuff, getting to do stuff put in our order. But you know, as we come to the start of the year, I'd like to think that we can press the reset button. Download, upgrade for your app. (laughs) And relaunch with a different focus. Now, I still have no idea what to make of any of this because... This isn't a biblical teaching. He didn't open up a passage and begin reading and exegeting and telling us what God's Word says. This is kind of a convoluted, all-over-the-map type of teaching with a central theme of give things away that God has given you so that you can sow a seed and, and reap a harvest. And 
the implied, based upon the stories that he told, the implied thing you're supposed to give away is, well, money. This is more of a con than it is a biblical teaching. Saying Jesus is at the center of my everything. And so as we come to that point, you know, maybe there's some of you who are saying, you know, like I've never connected with God. And I really, really should. So I'd like to do that now, if I could. If you've never done that, in a couple seconds, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you've never prayed a prayer that says, God, come into my life. You can do that in a couple moments. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. But you know, if you're like one of those believers that the Lord's knocking on the door and he's saying, hey, let me in. I know you go to church. I know you, well, you haven't been to church for a little while, but you know, you sort of got the religious thing happening, but I'm not in your world. It's not like you're asking me, what will I do? It's like you're living your life, but I'm just there somewhere as a savior. To make him your ruling influence. Say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm getting myself in line with the will of God. I want to come back. In a couple of moments, I want you also to raise your hands when I ask. And you know, like thirdly, if there's, if there's some here who you're just not sure if you're going to heaven, you're like 90% sure, but oh, you doubt. I hope I am. I think I am. Please make sure right here today. So can I ask everybody to close their eyes right across this auditorium? How do you make sure? And if that's you, Right now. Now, normally I don't let guys like this pray, but I'm curious as to see what he's going to do here. Wherever you are, you're saying, I've never prayed that prayer. I've not asked God to come into my life. I've been away from God. I need to come back. So the prayer is the thing that, uh, okay. If that's you right now, you're saying, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Wherever you are in our meeting here today, could you please just raise your hand, put it high in the air for me and say, that's me. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Who else is there? Would you just raise it high? I said, Pastor, that's me. Thanks, bud. I see your hand. I'm going to pray for you in a couple seconds. Who else is there? Would you please raise your hand? Wherever you are, I said, I've never prayed that prayer before. Or you're saying, I need to pray a, a, a prayer that says, I'm coming back, Lord. I'm going to get right, Lord. If there's one more hand that's going to rise here today, thanks. I see your hand down the back there. Anybody else at all? Thanks, man. I see your hand. I'll wait another second for anybody else. If there's just one more person, please raise it. Okay. All right, guys, can I ask you to look this way? And uh, in a couple moments, we're all going to stand. And those of you who raised your hands, I'd love to shake hands with you and pray for you down the front here. So can you just make your way down the front and we'll meet and we'll pray together and believe God for an incredible moment in your life to happen. Let's all stand and welcome these guys as they come. Yeah, not sure what's going on here. Hello. How are you? I'm so glad to meet you. Come over here. Come over here. Come over here. Hey, buddy. God bless you, man. So glad to meet you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Hi. God bless you. What's your name? Denise. Denise. Hi. What's your name? Daniel. 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 Daniel in the lion's den, man. Do you have Christian parents? You did. Yeah, they knew what they were doing when they had you. Does anybody else make your way down here quickly? Don't stay where you are. You've never been born again. You're kind of holding out, thinking, oh, I'm, I don't know if I should go down there. 
Come on, just step out right now. Say, I'm going to make my way down there before we pray. Amen. Just come. We're going to pray. Yeah. Amen. We're going to pray right now. Yeah. Just say these words, guys, after me. If you can close your eyes, say these words. It's a prayer to God. Dear God in heaven, I ask Jesus Christ into my life. I ask to be born again. Cleanse me from sin. Make me your child. Help me follow Christ. I renounce the devil. I accept Christ as my Lord. Now notice he didn't preach the gospel. He didn't preach against sin. He didn't tell us what Jesus did on the cross. We're just going to, at the end of this, just tack on some kind of a version of the sinner's prayer. Savior and my friend, thank you, God, that today I'm saved. Amen. Well, there it was. Um, I couldn't make any biblical sense of it. It sounded to me like he was, I don't know, trying to plant a thought in their mind about the importance of giving away whatever God has given them, particularly money. And that's about all I was able to take away from that. But again, note the fact that he never once opened to a biblical text and actually preached it. He grabbed something from this verse over here, something from this story over there, maybe a phrase from here, and he alluded to John 1.1, but he didn't preach Christ, and he didn't exegete any passages. He just spun a series of assertions together using out-of-context verses as the glue that kind of connected all the pieces to create the impression that what he was doing was giving a biblical teaching. But he wasn't. Very, very dangerous. And then at the end, hey, we got something like the the sinner's prayer. Yet nobody there, based on what he was teaching, would have been convicted of sin and unbelief. Uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins was not placarded, preached, or proclaimed. Very convoluted. Quite a mess. Not biblical. This wasn't Christian preaching. This was something completely different. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till Monday, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.